Hi, I'm Dave. And I'm Paul. And we're going to challenge you to transform your financial future through the principles of the most profitable business in the world, banking. We believe everyone should be involved in two businesses, the business that you're in and the banking business. Everyday people can replicate what bankers have been doing for centuries to leverage capital and build wealth through private lending. Join us as we uncover the truths about money, expose lies and myths, and flip conventional financial advice on its head. Here we go. Paul, what's happening, man? How are you? I'm good. Uh, busy with baseball. So, you know, as soon as we get done here, I got to eat and run out the door to baseball. I think we have, we got two practices and possibly nine games this between now and Sunday. So, it's a busy time. It's a lot. End, it's like a crescendo at the end of the season where they just throw yeah. everything at you. And then it's like that, it's like the, uh, the grand finale at the, you know, fireworks uh, display. Yeah. It's a so, lot of baseball for those young arms. It's a lot of baseball. We were talking about that. Like they, they have a pitch count these days. So, yeah. you know, you got to be – we've actually won a game because the other team went over their pitch count and the ump called a forfeit. So, oh, wow. Yeah. We actually won a championship because of that. Ah. So right that team did it twice. So was it on purpose? I don't know. Yeah. I think we're not counting, but right, yeah. So we're right finishing on. up baseball, which has been fun, but it'll be nice to have a little more of a break here towards the end of the summer. Yeah, it sounds like you on the you know as the opposing team, you guys, it was uh, beneficial for you to know the rules and know them really well. Yeah, like Bill Belichick style. Yeah, that's right. Know the rules and and use them. Greatest there for coach a reason. Of all time. Yeah, well, he couldn't win without old Tom. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of, yep, you're right. Yeah, well. Of course, people thought he was overrated, too, over the years. Like, oh, he's overrated. All right. Yeah, hard to say that. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of football, there's a good show. uh, Me and the Quarterbacks? Yeah, quarterbacks. We started watching that last night. Yeah, I saw the ad for it. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. So get getting me pumped for football season, man. Not that I ever even watch a game hardly. Like I get excited I watched, when football season comes around and yeah. then I never get to watch a game. I watched the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah. so we know you're you pro- do you have do you have cable or or direct TV or whatever? We don't. No, of course not. Yeah. No. No, but because my team is really good, the Chiefs, they broadcast them all over the place. Right. So I get to see about half the games just on network television. Right. Yeah. Awesome. So, yeah. Well, all right, man. Uh, let's get going. I think we're, we'll we'll just do a and A episode today. We had a lot of good questions from clients and prospects over the last uh, week or so in the meetings we've had, and let's uh, let's knock some of these out. So, here I'll I'll ask you the first one, and this is my favorite question. When somebody asks me this, I'm like, boom, he gets it, she gets it. Like, let's move forward. The question came today, how aggressive can my premium be? How would you answer yeah. that? Yeah. Normally I'll, I would I would probably give them kind of an underwriter answer and it's it's tied to your to your income level, right? And and your age. So the older you are, the less working years you have left, right? The- theoretically, according theoretically. to an underwriter, right? Yeah. Um typically 65 ish 
70-ish, maybe, but generally 60 to 65 years old is kind of considered, you know, the end of the working life uh, to an underwriter. So that being said, if you're 40 years old, uh, an underwriter will probably allow you to have around 25 times your income and death benefit. And the way we design these policies, Dave, obviously we kind of reverse engineer them. We don't ask generally ask someone what they want for a death benefit. We ask them, all right, well, how much, you know, what's, we have a death benefit goal, of course, but let's see how much premium you have in order to get close to that. And then there's some things that we can do with some term riders and stuff to get to that death benefit goal. But generally speaking, we plug in the premium amount and it spits out a death benefit. Right. Um, so as a simple example, as relative to income, if you're making $100,000, you can expect the most an underwriter will, will allow you to pay in premium is going to be somewhere between fifteen dollars and $25,000 yeah. in premium per year. 15 to 25%, in other words. Yep. And I have had them accept you know, upwards of 30% based sure. on your income. Yep. So Now, yeah. So if you've got a client that makes you know, a million dollars a year or $10 million a year, obviously, you know, if we're talking to them and you make $10 million a year, well, can you live off five? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think I'll be okay. Right. Um, you know, there's, there's some allowances there obviously, but you know, again, we've talked about it where someone who makes 50 grand, they're going to allow you to pay $25,000 in premium. That's exactly. half your income, right? That's half your gross income. Right. Right. Um, so, no, great question. I think that gets to the point that someone that really gets it, like you said, and it's it's kind of a different way of asking, you know, instead of this is how we gauge your understanding of IBC and knowing what's going on is typically people who have a, a limited understanding are asking us how much, you know, how much should I pay in premium every year or every month? Yeah. And the real question is how much can I pay? Yeah. So, and I like this because this, this came from a, a military guy and, you know, how aggressive can I be, which I love, you know, my, my answer to that is, Hey, if you're, if you've already got the discipline to save and you don't have any consumer debt, then you're only limited by how aggressive the life insurance company allows you to be. Yep. That's your limit. And will you know, I'm fully comfortable with you approaching that limit. Uh, if, if those other things are taken care of now, if you've got you know, you're hardly saving anything or, you know, Parkinson's laws has uh, caught up with you and your expenses have rise to meet your income or risen to meet your income. And, and, you know, you have some consumer debt then I'm not going to recommend you go that aggressive at all until you get your, some habits in place and some discipline in place to fix that. So take care, take care of that. And then, and then go aggressive. Um, but, uh, Realizing you can always add another policy down the road. Yeah, so that's right. Yeah. Um, yep. So love that question, man. Great question. And it, it tells you that this person gets it. Yeah. And that's someone that you've kind of been talking to for several years now. Yeah. And it would have gone forward a lot earlier, but living out of the country makes it very difficult. You know, insurance companies don't really like to underwrite you if you're living in another country. They want you to be here on American soil. So. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly right. And yeah. we've run into that a few times, unfortunately, with, with clients. So. Right. Um, 
Okay, next next question. Uh, how quickly can I get a policy going? Because I need to buy a car right now, <laughs> but I want to get my cash into a policy first. What are what are my options? So that's another great question, um, and I would always dig into that a little bit more. Like, um, you know, are is this eager investor syndrome? which you're buying a car is not eager investor syndrome. But really what this question comes down to is somebody who's read the book, listen to the podcast, whatever, but they get the idea that, man, I, I've got this cash saved up. I do not want to spend this cash. I hate the idea of it now, now that I understand this, this different view of, of money and that I finance everything I buy. If I pay cash, I've lost the ability to earn interest on that cash for the rest of my life. And I don't want to give up that uh, opportunity. There's an opportunity cost to paying cash. So this question comes from a good spot of understanding and wanting to get that cash working, locked in, earning for them uninterrupted for the rest of their lives, and then leverage it to go buy that car with cash. So in this situation, like if you can't wait, if you need to go buy something, I would look into financing it. Save your mm -hmm. cash, save your capital, go through the underwriting process, which could take four to six weeks. Um, could be quicker, it could be longer, um, but have the patience, go through that, hold on to your capital. In the meantime, you can finance that car purchase and maybe you, you, you make one payment, maybe two payments, and then you can fund your policy. A couple of weeks later, you can access that cash value, take out a, a loan to go pay off that loan with the bank. And now you own your car free and clear. And that exact same payment you were making to the bank every month, because you already fit it into your budget, you know you can make it, you now just redirect that payment back to, to your policy every month and start filling that back up. So. Yep, love it. Yeah, yeah. don't be afraid to use bank financing to hold on to your capital uh, in a situation like that. Yeah, exactly right. Before we hit record, we were talking about uh, the construction loan that I'm I'm gonna have here in a in a little, in a few months and the options that I had with that to kind of hold on to my cash uh, longer than I thought I was going to be able to. I thought I was going to have to bring twenty percent right off the right out of the gate, uh, but that's not the case. So, um, no, I, I love that. And then we covered it in an episode, Dave, where we talked about your new truck pretty early on in the podcast. I th right. think, yeah, where you did exactly what you just explained, except you added another step. And I actually think you kind of put it like this, where you created a passive income flow from some opportunity to then make the payment on your truck, which you used, you know, the dealer financing or whatever. Um, so that's another option that this that this person could also do um, is adding that extra ex, extra step. Um, but either way, it works, right? Yeah. Like, there's no, there's no bad decision. You're you're the banker, right? The banker can do. You can do whatever you want. What you want, whatever you want. It's like being an empty nester. We can do whatever we want. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I won't know what that feels like for quite some time, but. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, that hopefully, and that's a great scenario where, hey, yeah, let's let's get this cash in there and take, take a loan immediately. We don't advise people take loans immediately, but if it's the difference between letting go of your capital for the rest of your life versus putting it in here, locking it in, and then leveraging it right away to go make that payment, that purchase that you have to make, um, or you really need to make, um, that's a better option. 
you know, get that money working for you for the rest of your life. We've had, I know between the two of us, we've likely had several clients who, who lacked the proper understanding or, or were impatient or whatever. And, you know, months later they come back and say, Paul, you know, you were right. That money that I directed over there to do that one thing should have gone into my policy as single premium first. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, well, we talked about that and uh, you didn't want to do it. <laughs> so yeah, sorry. all you can do is, you know, lead a horse to water. That's right. Right. Yeah, that's right. It's caught, uh, not taught. So when I recommend something, I'm, here's what I told someone fairly recently. I was like, listen, when I'm recommending a policy design or a certain premium flow or it's i'm doing it as if, as if i'm designing this for myself yeah and my own family's needs no different so anyway yeah no i think uh, the same thing yeah right uh so this question came in um i'll take this one dave um and and you can answer too because i'm sure this applies to you as well but this came from one of my clients uh, do you have any clients who leverage their cash value for stock market investment um, I'm sure I do. In fact, I, I know I do. I have several clients that love the stock market and they think it's the greatest thing ever. And, um, they also do real estate as well, but they're just very savvy people. So of course, but this is because they understand that their, their policy or system of policies is simply the foundation of their wealth. All right. money's flowing, you know, all it flows in, it flows out, it flows in as premium, flows out as loans, goes back as policy loan repayment. And it's just, it, it just, the cycle continues. The only difference is every year is they have a larger and larger pool of capital to work with, right? Um, so for sure, I have, I also have a client that's very savvy uh, that has a, a, a portfolio where he uses dividends to pay some of his premium. So he has a fairly large brokerage account and is a very savvy um, dividend stock picker. And he pays premium like that part partially. So yeah. So yes, absolutely. Again, you're the banker, you do whatever you want. You can do you whatever stock you want. Market, go do it. Yeah. And I, I have one, one uh, prospect I was talking to who has like an employee stock purchase plan. Right. So every quarter he can buy stock at a 15% discount. And then the very <laughs> next day he can sell it and make yeah. 15% on that. Right. And he's like, I could fund my policy if I calculated how much I can pay buy every month and the 15% gain on that or every quarter. He's like, I could fund a quarterly premium with that gain. I was like, well, now you're thinking like a banker. That sounds like something a banker would do. Um, so there's all kinds of options, but yeah. I had a guy, uh, a client, you know, who likes the stock market. He likes to pick his own stocks and do that as well. You know, he's a pilot, so he's got a lot of extra time on his hands and and he spends it getting smart on the stock market and following, you know, making, trying to make good decisions on that. Well, he's like, you know, I, I just don't want to stop doing that. And that's a great thing. You don't have to stop doing what you're doing right now. You can just do it in a better way, a way that creates more efficiency of your dollars creates more certainty and more safety without adding any risk whatsoever. So you just add it. It's like a layer in between. Uh, it's like the meat in a sandwich, man. You got 
you know, where your money is right now, where it's going to be, just put it here right in the middle for a little bit first, capture it there, and then you can, you know, go use it for something else. Yeah, exactly right. And Nelson talked about, you know, changing the sequence of his spending pattern, basically, right? Um, and we've said it a million times on here probably by now, but your money is going to go do what it's going to go do. Buy a car, finance an investment, buy a house, finance college, whatever it is. Pay for a wedding, in your case, like a bunch of weddings. Um, you know, before you, it does all those things, it should be premium first. Yeah. Right? And that's, it's, really, that's, it's really that simple, folks. You know, minus the startup costs of, you know, about, you know, 10 years of startup costs for your policy, let's say. Let's just say that's a fair, fair estimate with the policies we design. Um, I, that's just, you have to accept that, right? And it's not something that's concerning. It's just, it just is, I guess. It's, yeah. it's not, um, but man. You... It's, it's interesting. People will balk at something like that, yet there's still 45 year olds paying off college loans that they acquired over 20 years ago. So how about th yeah. that for a startup cost? Oh my goodness. How's that startup cost going? Like people don't even give it two thoughts that I've got student debt. Um, I have to go to college, you know, and I'm going to spend the next 20 to 30 years paying this off. Like, okay. But that, that's a startup cost that taking you a long time. This, you know, we're talking eight to 10 years startup cost and you get to use that money in the meantime. You know, we should probably have our doc, one of our doctor clients on the most recent one is what I'm thinking of in particular, because um, a lot of mine are military uh, docs, but, you know, and, and how, how much of a delay there is because they're, they're in resident, they're in residency, you know, and then they're, uh, you know, and attending and then they make a little bit more money but not not much yeah. <laughs> you know and then they're you know finally they get to wherever they're going private practice or whatever they're doing but um they they're so delayed in making money i think attorneys to an extent too they're they're in school for so long in in, in a lot of cases that they're just there's such there's such a huge delay in generating an income and then they have a massive amount of debt right nowadays you know several hundred thousand dollars at age 30. Ouch. Yeah. And then, you know, who are their friends? Doctors. So, you know, who are they? They're a doctor. So you got to live the doctor lifestyle. Oh, you got to be that right? country club. You got to go to the country club, man. You got to drive the BMW, the Mercedes. You got to have that nice house. And it's, uh, it's, it's a sad situation, I think, for a lot of um, medical professionals who, who go that route, who start living that, you know, it's Parkinson's law, man. You got to keep up with the Joneses. Um, and it, it catches up. I think, I don't know. I've heard, you know, dentists are, are one of the most prone to depression, depression, hmm. the, the, uh, professions that are very prone to profession, uh, depression, I'm sorry, is dentistry and, and being an attorney. And I think a lot of that is, is actually just the fact that nobody wants to see you. Nobody's happy to see you and right. pay for the services that you offer, right? Because right? it just means they're either going to be in pain or they're in trouble somehow. Um, that's probably a lot of it. But another cause that I've heard, um, speaking specifically for dentists, is that you get these young kids out of college, they're a dentist now, and they go work for somebody who owns their own practice, 
who's driving the Mercedes, who's living that life, man, who comes into the office three days a week, you know, and, and, uh, and has that disposable income uh, or discretionary income. I don't like the word disposable. I wouldn't dispose of any of my income, but um, you know, and then they feel like they got to do the same. So, right. Yeah. You don't, you don't uh, nope. just live well below your means. Um, enjoy your money, but yeah, you don't, you don't, got to do that stuff to impress other people. Uh, anyway, get off on a little tangent there. I don't even know how we get there. Here's, here's another one. Um, Hey, I've got a lot of cash and I was talking to somebody recently. They got a lot of cash. It's saved up. They want to put it towards just paying the premium on their policy over the next several years, maybe three, four, five years. So they don't have to think about it. And then by time that's done, maybe their cash flow situation is freed up. They got more income, they got fewer debts, and they can fund those policies out of pocket very easily. Um, what are some options for doing that? Like, where would you put that cash? Uh, not Maybe not you, but what are some options for clients who want to do that? Yeah. Well, I think my first stop is, um, you know, following the, you know, Nelson's teachings is, you know, don't do business with banks. So my first stop is always going to be uh, the mutual life insurance company of my choice, Right. Um, some of them offer these riders where you can, um, you know, put up to, let's say 10 times the, the pre the annual premium into a rider. Um, and then your policies basically paid up for the next 10 years. Right. And then they kind of discount, you know, earn, it bears interest. It'll generate a 1099, but it's basically discounting the, the cost of the policy for you. Right. Um, as it earns because it's earning interest, right? And that's kind of how it's treated. So that's one option. You could put a put a ton of cash into one of those riders. And I've had clients ask, um, and I was like, well, if you have more than, if you have like two years of premium or, you know, there's different riders that we can do that with. So um, th I think that's my first, that's personally my first choice because I'm helping make the company that I'm part owner of profitable by giving them more capital to work with. And let's face it, um, it's likely a safer place to put the money. Yeah. Right. Then just your local bank where it's just going to sit and you just draft it, you know, and then it's, you know, out of sight, out of mind, right? If you just put it in a bank account, that's not out of sight. So chances of you going to, to pilfer that for something that comes yeah. up, whether it, it's an emergency, an opportunity, or just consumerism uh, is yep. a lot higher. Yep. I think it's, yeah, I like the, I like the out of sight, out of mind of having it with the insurance company. Um it's not illiquid per se, but it's you'd have to go through some steps to get to it, if that yeah. makes sense. So it could be a really good option for people who maybe inherited some cash they weren't expecting. Sure. Um, or maybe you want to, an older couple wants to get policies on their, their children, their adult children, but maybe they don't trust them to, to you know fund it after they're gone. Something like that. They could set that money aside in one of these writers and have it fund the policy for them. Who knows? Right. Options. It begs the question, are they insurable if they're <laughs> that irresponsible? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. But okay, cool. Here's here's one that came up recently. I really like this one. And um, we've heard it more than once. Mm -hmm. But Paul, should I diversify my life insurance policies with different companies? Doesn't that make sense? Like just to I diversify my investments. Shouldn't I diversify my life insurance policies as well? I don't, I don't particularly think so, but it's kind of like what we were talking about before we went hot. I liked how you kind of put this was, uh, you know, Dave said, 
you know, what brand of car do you drive? You know, I look around my neighborhood, there's a lot of Hondas and Toyotas. My neighbors have two Hondas over there. I just look out the window, they've got a couple of Toyotas and then there's some Subarus, right? Um, and they're, they're matched. There's like two of each. So right. people, pers- I, I buy the brand or the model or the brand, let's say the brand that I perceive gives me the best value. Like I like Ram trucks. I think they have the best ride quality. They're the best motors. Um, you know, Cummins diesel is obviously the best diesel engine out of the three. Sorry for GM, you know, I'll probably get some hate mail, but everyone knows that's true. Uh, Cummins <laughs> is the only real diesel motor out of the three, but anyway, um, so I have my favorite and preferred mutual life insurance company. And I think you do as well. And that's where all of my personal policies are with. Consequently, it's where 99% of my life insurance business is through because I perceive it to be the best uh, company to do what to do IBC business through. Yeah. And I'll leave it at that. I like that. So, you know, another thing about diversifying life insurance companies, um, I guess the question would be why, you know, is it because of the dividend? Like you, one company might have a higher dividend mm-hmm. one year than another. Well, you know, studies have been done and, and really the, the dividend makes very, very little difference because they're all so competitive. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, the healthy mutual life insurance companies that would be good for infinite banking so competitive that that dividend is really a non-factor. The fact that they're paying a dividend is what matters more than anything, whether it's 5.2% or 4.9 or 6% even doesn't matter because that's just a small piece of that overall equation on what a dividend actually is and how many dollars it puts into your a cash, you know, shows up its cash value. Yeah. The right. That's they're not, they're unrelated. <laughs> yeah, how many dollars show up is unrelated to the dividend rate. Correct. So, yeah. and we've probably talked about that before, but it's- We have an episode on a, it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's the gross dividend rate. It's, I I don't really, I find it mildly interesting. I just care that, like you said, like that I get a dividend, but you know, and then do the companies all calculate it the same? No, they don't. Right. Um, there's not, not really standard. an industry standard for it. So, yeah. But no, that, you bring up you bring up a great a great point. Uh, if you feel more comfortable, I mean, ultimately this is up to you. If you feel more comfortable diversifying, fine. Uh, that's you know, you you know, we've been sold that word diversification through the investment uh, world. I would say you got to diversify and yeah, which the know. wealthiest people don't. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, they do insider trading. <laughs> 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 Yeah. Um, uh, but, you know, diversifying for a, like a company that maybe it'll fail, you know, and then at least I have one policy that's good with another company. If any, if companies fail, other insurance companies have to step in and make those policy owners whole. They're, it's regulated at the state level very strictly. And uh, all these companies pay into a fund that uh, and basically are required to pick up the slack for another company that failed. Yeah. And take it's over pretty- those policies. It's pretty awesome. And uh, yeah. yeah. So I, yeah, I, I'm with you. I don't diversify. I do have policies with three different companies. 
Yep. However, the majority of my policies and all the policies I've acquired in the last, say, nine years have come from one single company, the company that I do all my business with, or the 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 majority of my business with right now, yeah. you know, barring some um, necessity because of a client situation or, or, you know, health reasons or something. Right. Yep. And I, you know, I like, I like the company that that we use it has very very strict underwriting sometimes a little too strict in my opinion but yeah um you know it is what it is yep it's a you know and it's highly used by ibc practitioners which are the biggest producers at these companies um right yeah that's true so um and they support us they support what we do um and that makes a huge difference because some some companies don't right some companies say you can't use the word bank or banking when you're talking to potential clients. Um, and they, they make that very clear. That's their right, right. but uh, you know, other companies are completely fine with it. Right. Um, okay, so last thing on our list here is uh, something that came in from, from a recent client here is, uh, so Dave, some companies allow us to do, um, you know, we have base premium, we have, paid up additions premium that we want to pay every month or every year. But on top of that, some companies allow a single one-time only lump sum in the first year of the policy's life. Um, and a lot of people are, they immediately think, oh, I got to pay this with all the other premium right away. But that's not true, is it? It's, it's right. you have 12, you know, 364 days after the policy's in force, right, to pay that, lump sum. So what this allows a client to do is let's say they're a good saver and they're like, you know what, Paul, I, I told you I could save this much. Um, but actually by 11 months from now, I'll be able to have this much and we can build that space into the policy to accept a higher premium, which buys you more. It would be a term death benefit, uh, but it would make, it would cover that, you know, maybe gap of insurance coverage that you might have and death right. benefits. So, yeah. Yeah. And not only that, you know, it's not just your savings rate, but maybe you have a, you know, quarterly bonuses from your company yeah, or an annual Some bonus sort of that doesn't really correlate to when your policy started. You start your policy in August, but your bonus doesn't pay out till February. Like, hey, you can wait until then to fund that single payment. And then what, what else does that do? You know, yeah, it creates more death benefit, more cash value and a greater pool of capital earlier than uh, than otherwise. So, you know, there's trade-offs. Uh, you may be able to fund less paid up additions over, you know, later on in life. Right. But it allows you to capture that that capital right away, right now, and get it, you know, put it to work earning those compound returns for you from that day forward. So yeah, I, it, I love that option. Yeah. No, it's very liquid and um, you know, we do it all the time. So uh just know that um what I generally tell people, Dave, is you know, if you dream it and it's possible, we'll you know, we'll do if it if it makes sense. You know, you'll get our best recommendation because um, a lot of people do have do have cash. Oh, and let me harp on this for a second. Like your emergency fund, my opinion, ought to be that type of premium. Probably, it should be in your system of policies or your first policy or whatever. But if you for open sure. up a policy with high premium, then you're like, oh, I got another 150,000 over here in a savings account. Like, yeah. Why? 
And that's why it's important for me to, to get all of that information from everybody during the application and then during the, you know, the fact finding um, portion of the, the, the application and underwriting process is like, I, I want to know where your cash is, how much is available so I can provide the best recommendations to you. You could take it or leave it after I offer it, you know, provide that recommendation. But in, in, unless we have that truth data, uh, I can't be as useful to you as, as I otherwise could be. Right. I'll have to tell you after we go offline, I was, had a, a call with a, a prospect recently. And as we dug in, he got a little more comfortable. And, and I work with this guy's uh, brother-in-law um, who sits behind me. It's funny. He lets the cat out of the bag of how much money he's got in the bank. And I'm just like, oh, good Lord, buddy. Yeah. Uh, you're killing me. Uh, yeah. So there, there is such thing as having too much money in, in certain places. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. And he's, you know, single guy doing very well. So has no debt, but it's just, come on, man. Like there's, there's way smarter things to be doing with this, with this capital. More efficient and productive uses of your capital. Yeah. That's what this is all about. Just increasing the efficiency, the efficiency, the productivity, uh, and the safety. Really? Yeah. Let's get that hundred knot tailwind. Yeah. There you go. Well, right on, man. Well, Hey, it's time to eat some dinner and head off to baseball. So, um, I guess we'll uh, we'll pick it up next week. All right. Well, um, good luck to the boys, and uh, yeah. yeah, I'm going to say it this time. Ready? And until next time, control your capital, or somebody else will. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. If you'd like to have a conversation with us to see how you can become your own banker, or if you have any questions or topics you'd like us to tackle on a future episode, please send us an email to David and Paul at theibcguys.com. And subscribe and leave us a review if you're on Apple. Follow and leave us a five-star review if you're on Spotify. And please share this with your friends. We'll see you next week.